So, if you have a Bible, uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going today. We're in week number two of our series called Grave Robbers. And in this series, we are going to be talking about um, stepping out of what has us bound and what has us buried and taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. And I know not necessarily do those two phrases mean a whole lot to you right now, but as we progress over the next several weeks, um, you'll understand what those mean. Um, real quick review, uh, if you weren't here last week, John chapter 11, where we're going to be at the entire series, is all about um, Lazarus, he's sick, he dies, and Jesus brings him back to life. Like, that's it. That's the entire story. Um, but along the way, a lot of different things happen. Last week, we talked about one of those things happening um, was this issue of, of trust. And we talked about how difficult it is sometimes to trust God. And I know we're not supposed to say that in church. We're not supposed to admit in church that we ever have a difficult time trusting God. But sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes all of us do. And so we talked about how trust is foundational even when it's difficult. And I told you, no matter your situation, Jesus has no limitation. No matter, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, when it happened, like no matter your situation, no matter what has you bound, no matter what has you buried, no matter what is going on in your life, Jesus can help you overcome that because Jesus has no limitation, which leads into this week. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about probably one of the most frequently asked questions, if not the most frequently asked question that anybody in ministry gets, and it's this, how do I know God's will for my life? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had that question, anybody? I think all of us have. Like, how, how do I know the plan? Hey, Ryan, you say all the time, I'm created all purpose, for a purpose, with, with a purpose. How do I know that purpose? Like, how do I legitimately know God's will and God's plan for my life? I sometimes get that question from even non-Christians. And they'd be like, hey, Ryan, if there is a God, and if he really is good, then, then I want to know what he wants for me. I want to know what, what he's got for me. So how do I know God's will for my life? Well, the best way that I could explain this, the best way I can illustrate this, because I'm kind of a, a visual person, and so I, I like to kind of put things in a way that I can understand them. Let's say that this pulpit right here, let's say this, this is God's will for my life. This is God's will for your life. That's what the pulpit represents. All right, so let's say that. And let's say I'm over here. So I'm here, and God's will is over there. If you're going to tell me how to make it to that pulpit from here or from, from, from here to there, what's the most practical thing that you could tell me to do? Walk, right? Take a step, right? Take a step. I take one step, I'm a little bit closer. What do you got to tell me to do next? Take another step, and I'm a little bit closer. And then you tell me to do what? Take another step, and then you tell me to do what next? Take, you see where I'm going with this? Take another step. We say all the time that Christianity is simply a series of next step. Now, taking the next step, if I'm here and I'm trying to get there, when we're walking, when we're putting one foot in front of the other, it's very simple, right? None of us really even think about walking but walk, because walking is very easy. Taking a step is very simple, but... One of the things I've discovered about God is although he makes our next step very simple, just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. L let me explain what I'm talking about. The last series we did, Planks and Specs, um, week number one, I talked about 
releasing anger and bitterness in our lives. Remember we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about forgiving other people. And I said, even if you're not a Christian, that's important. Get anger and bitterness out of your life. And I said from this stage, uh, four times on, on Friday when we pre-recorded for our online and our, and our campus, uh, our Crescent campus, um, and three times on Sunday morning, I said, you know what? I've really, really, really worked hard on this anger and bitterness towards other people and forgiving them, and I'm doing really well with that. And when I said it, I meant it. And I really did think that it was true until Monday morning. You ever have one of those times? You ever have one of those moments? Like that Monday morning, I got up, opened my Bible for some quiet time with God, and God spoke to me and said, hey, you know what? There's this one person that you still haven't forgiven. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're right. I forgot all about that. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Like, please forgive me for not doing it. Give me the ability to step into that and do that and let them know that they're forgiven and no hard feelings and all of that. But it's me, and I don't usually operate like that. And believe it or not, and I know you're going to have a very hard time um, believing this about your pastor, um, but I have a tendency sometimes to push back on God a little bit. Anybody else with me on that? Anybody else want to be honest today? Um, if you didn't raise your hand, don't pretend that your biggest problem was polishing your halo this morning. Um, for the rest of us that are honest, I think most of us, there have been times where we just kind of push back on God. And so I was like, uh, I don't know, dude. I don't, um, I don't really think that's the best idea. Because see, if I do that, it's going to open up like this whole mess of things, and then it's going to have to do this, and I'm going to have to do that, and I'm going to have to talk to this person, and we're going to have to go through, and I was just like, so God, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And that morning, I closed up all of my stuff, and I just walked away. Like, I didn't even finish my quiet time. I just like, I'm just going to roll into something else. The next morning, I get up, open my Bible, I'm reading, and it's like, God's like, hey, listen, dude, like, you're going to have to, and I was like, uh-uh. Nope, not going to do it. And, and, and listen, here's the cool thing about God. When he's telling you to take a next step, I don't believe that he's mad. I don't believe he's got a bullhorn and he's screaming at us and he's yelling at us. Like, I don't believe, like, like if we don't do it, I don't think he's going to, like, make our car break down or our dog run away or our kid get sick or wh whatever. I, I don't believe that it's like that. The next step, our next step, like, a, a lot of people will say, anytime we take a next step, it brings glory to God. R really? R like God needs us to, to take our next step so he can get glory? Like I think God's doing really well in the glory department. I don't think God needs us to do anything. I don't think God needs us to take a next step. It's not about, about him getting the glory. It's about us being obedient to the calling. You understand that? Like, like, we need to be obedient to what God is speaking into our lives. That's, when, that's why the next step, that's what it's about, even when it's difficult. It's about us being obedient in the moment. And so God was like, hey, you need to forgive this person. And I was like, okay, but I have, God, in my heart, I have forgiven them. You ever felt like something like that? Like, in my heart, I have done this. And, and God was like, can they see that your heart? And I was like, uh I guess not. Like, that's kind of a stupid question. They live hundreds of miles away. And he's like, you need to do that. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I begin to argue. Don't you remember what they did? Don't you remember what they said? 
Don't you remember the things that, that happened because of this? Like, absolutely not. No. And I closed it up, and I walked away from it again. Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning was my birthday. And so I woke up in a good mood because it's my birthday. And I'm like, sweet. And I'm up, and it's going to be a great day. And I'm reading my Bible, and I hear God, listen, dude. You have got to do this, preacher boy. I know it's your, and, and I was just like, Ugh. now, <laughs> what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to say, I have made fun of. I have told you not to do it. I have said it's not a good idea. But I was desperate. I had all this conviction from God, and I didn't want to do it. And so I made a deal with God. You ever done that? Anybody ever made a deal with God? And so literally, this is what I said. All right, God, here's the deal. Now remember, this is like mid-March. It's ice cold outside. There's still snow on the ground. So I said, listen, God, if I see a blue jay today, I will forgive that person. You ever done that? Like, honestly, like you just make us, I'm like, I don't even know how nature works, man. I don't know where the blue jays are or anything, but I just like, whatever. I know they ain't going outside today because I don't want to go outside today. And so that's what I told them. I really did. If I see a blue jay, I forgive them. And so I'm outside. I'm doing some stuff. I'm driving over here. Um, I'm driving down to St. Greg's. I'm thinking, man, it's, it, there's no way that there is going to be a blue jay today. There's just absolutely no way. Again, snow, it's cold. I get to St. Greg's, I'm getting out, I'm looking in the trees, there's some birds, I'm like, oh, maybe, <laughs> like, uh, shoot, and, but there's none. I'm like, ha ha, God, see, I told you, like, th- like, I know better than you know, God, and kind of going through this whole thing, and like, I don't have to move, I don't have to forgive. I get into the room, I start teaching, I'm teaching about prayer, about five minutes into my teaching, the back door of the room opens up. I, I can't even make this stuff up. A guy walks in sits right in the front row, right in front of me, wearing a Toronto's Blue Jays t-shirt. I don't even know any Toronto Blue Jay fans, do you? Anybody in here know a Toronto Blue Jay fan? I didn't even know they were still a baseball team. Like, I had no idea. And so I was like, all right, whatever, show off, you win. And so I go outside, and I go into my truck, and I bust off this email on my phone, and I'm like, hey, listen, man, I know we haven't talked in a while, um, and I, I just want you to know that thing that happened, like, I, I know that I was wrong, and um, I know some stuff that like, happened because of it, and I just want to let you know from my part in it, blah, 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 went through all, all of this stuff, and just like, you know, I, I just want to let you know that I forgive you, and I hope that you can forgive me, and, and I just, uh, it, it just, like, When I sent that out, when I sent it, I wish I could tell you that in that moment, because of my obedience, and because of me taking my next step, that the angels showed up and they started singing to me and I, I went home and there was a check in my mailbox for $10,000 and that person immediately called me and they're like, oh my gosh, Ryan, I've been waiting for years to hear from you again and I just love you and I wish we could just get back together and do all of this stuff like we used to. None of that happened. None of it. None of it. But you know what did happen in the moment? Peace. Absolute peace. And taking that step, I just felt like a weight that was on me for years that I didn't even know was there was just lifted and gone. And it was simple. It really was. It was very, very, very simple to send an email. But it wasn't easy. And and, and don't miss this. And me saying yes 
to Jesus and just saying yes, I took one step closer to discovering God's ultimate will for my life. And that's how we do it. Because see, if we're here and God tells us that, if God shows us his will, his will for our lives, a, a lot of us, we won't believe it or we won't accept it. Or we'll say like, hey, we don't want it, or it's too hard, because we can't wrap our minds around it. But if we take a step, and we take a step, and we take a step, not only does his will become clearer to us, but ultimately who he is becomes more clear. And that is a win every time, church, for us to be able to see Jesus more clearly, yes or no? Yes. And everybody has a next step. And that next step, although it may be difficult, is always the right step, always. So, with all that in mind, let me give you a little background of what's happening in the, in the book of John leading up to chapter 11. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in this region of Israel called Judea, and he did some teaching, and his teaching was incredible. But there were some people in the area that weren't completely pleased with what he was teaching, and so they picked up some rocks to kill him. Like, that, that's how they killed people back then. They picked up rocks to stone you. Now, I've had some bad sermons. Uh, nobody's thrown a rock at me yet. Not yet. Today might be the day. I, I don't know. I'm going to leave out the side door so you can't. Oh, no, I'm not because that's where the rocks. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, so they're throwing rocks at him. Now, think about this. If you're a crowd of people and you're throwing rocks at somebody and you're throwing rocks at a particular person, if, if you miss and there are a bunch of people around that person, you're going to hit the people that are around them, right? And so if they're throwing rocks at Jesus, if they miss Jesus, who are they going to hit? The disciples, right? Because they're the closest to Jesus. So they're in Judea. Don't miss that. It's really important. They're in Judea. People are throwing rocks at Jesus, and then Jesus kind of gets himself out of the situation. In John chapter 9, he heals a, a blind man. In John chapter 10, he does some more teaching. Once again, same reaction. People pick up rocks to stone him. They want to kill him. And so the Bible says that Jesus had to leave and go to another place. So he's in that other place. He's in the other place, and Mary and Martha, we said last week that their brother Lazarus, does anybody remember the condition Lazarus was in? He was what? He was sick. Three times John told us he was sick. And so they send a message to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, your, your friend, your, your, your boy, like, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus stands up, and he says, the sickness will not end in death. And then he sat back down, and that's where we ended the story last week. Now, I think when he sat back down, we didn't talk about this last week, but I think when he sat back down, all the disciples were like, shoo, God, we ain't going there. Because does anybody want to take a wild guess of what area of the country Lazarus lived in? Judea, right? The place where they throw rocks, the bad part of town. So that's where we pick it up in verse 7 of John chapter 11. Finally, he, this is Jesus, finally he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, real quick, let me ask this question. This is not a trick question. This is an easy question. Do you think the disciples were excited about this idea, yes or no? No, because they got what thrown at them the last time they were in Judea? Rocks. And Jesus saying, hey, our next step, guys, our next step is to go to Judea. And if I'm a disciple, I'm saying, what do you mean we? I ain't going, dog, because the last time we went there, like, we got rocks thrown at us. And Jesus is like, no, we're going to Judea. Our next step 
to get what, to what God ultimately wants for us is to step back into Judea, which blows up the myth of the safest place to be is in the middle of the will of God. Have you ever heard that? The safest place to be, brother, is in the middle of the will of God. Safest place to be, sister, is in the middle of God's will. Now, now listen, the best place, the best place, everybody say best. The best place to be is in the middle of the will of God. But sometimes it's totally not safe. This right here, going to Judea, is not safe. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because once again, if you're right here and Jesus is saying, let's take this next step, it, it, it's simple, but it's not always easy. Th- think about it like this. Ask, ask yourself this question. Where in the Bible did God ever ask anybody to do anything that was easy? Where? Anybody got an example? Anybody got one? How about Noah? Hey, Noah! Hey, man, I want you to build a boat. <laughs> awesome, God. Cool. Hey, man, what's a boat? They, they didn't have boats. They were 150 miles away from the nearest body of water. And God's like, hey, Noah, I need you to build a boat because it's going to rain. Awesome, God, whatever you want. What's rain? It had never rained. Like, he just didn't know. Noah had to build this boat, and he got made fun of, and there's all this kind of stuff that went on with Noah. But Noah was obedient. David, hey, man, I want you to go fight Goliath. For real? Are you, are you kidding, God? Let me ask you this question. Do you think David was just freaking out a little bit as he walked down into the valley? Yeah, he's a teenager. He's scared to death. I'm not going to ever stand here and tell you that taking your next step is easy. Because while it's simple, it's often very, 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 very difficult. And so Jesus is like, hey, let's go back to the place where you could possibly be killed. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, not going. And then in verse 8, but his disciples objected. Underline that, circle that, star that in your Bible, in your outline, in your notes, whatever you got to do. We're going to come back to that. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Now, this is huge. And so I want to look at this kind of, kind of phrase by phrase right here. Let's look at the first one, first part of this again. But the disciples objected. The reason I need to point that out is because I want to blow up another myth. We're going to blow up a bunch of myths in this series. We, we did a few last week, and, and, and one of the things that we've got to blow up right here is this. The closer we get to Jesus, the easier it is to follow him. You ever heard that? Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound awesome? Hey, the closer you get to Jesus, the easier it is to follow him. And so just as soon as you get close, it's going to be awesome. Like, like that sounds great. You can put that on a t-shirt, a coffee mug, a bumper sticker. Like, that's awesome. And that's something that people say all the time, but it's something we say way too much, and it's not true. The closer you get to Jesus, the easier it is to follow him. If that's true, what do you do with the disciples? How much closer can you get to Jesus than the disciples? I mean, the disciples were closer to Jesus than any of us, right? 
They had seen all of the miracles up to this point. They had watched Jesus walk on water. They had seen him feed thousands of people with some loaves of bread and a couple of fish. They had seen things and heard things that we have never seen and we have never heard. And this just goes to show right here that if you're having a hard time taking your next step in your walk with Jesus, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't even mean you're not a Christian. It just means that you're a human being because the next step, while it's simple, it's often difficult. It's not easy. But the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. And by the way, the rocks that missed you, they hit us. Look at Peter over there, head split open. Thomas got a black eye. Man, that's crazy, right? But then look at this, and, and watch this. Don't miss this. This is subtle, but it's in the Bible. Are you going there again? Are you going there again, Jesus? Like, like, really, are you going there again? Because, see, we've been talking. We've decided, like a, a committee, like we're, we're not going. We're not sure it's the best thing for you because if we go there, it's going to hurt. And so, Jesus, we're staying back. Like, I, I, I just don't, like ah, no, Jesus, not good. And the reason they push back, don't miss this, is because Jesus was asking them to step out of their comfort zone and into a commitment. He was asking them to go from convenience to commitment. Jesus always calls us from convenience to commitment. Always. I don't know about you, but I love it when things are convenient. Like, I love it when the lights are always green going through Carol. I've lived here 10 years. I think it's happened two times. Like, I will never, ever, ever understand why there have to be eight traffic lights in such a small town. Like, I have no, breathe. I could spend eight weeks preaching about that. Like, for real, it's bad. But I love convenience. I like it when I go to the grocery store, and the lady in front of me doesn't have coupons and doesn't try to write a check, right? I'm just saying, I know it's Mother's Day, but it's always the ladies, always. Oh, I, I love it. I prefer convenience, and if you're honest, you do too. It's the same in our walk with Jesus. Most people, we prefer convenience over commitment, and it really does take a commitment to take that simple but not easy next step. It's convenient to keep the same friends. It's convenient to keep going to the same parties. It's convenient to keep doing the same stuff. It's difficult to step away from that stuff. It's difficult to make a commitment and say, yes, I'm living for Jesus Christ. It's difficult to do that, right? And so if you're here and you're wrestling with that, it's because Jesus is calling you, just like he's calling me, out of our comfort and convenience place and into commitment. That, that's what's going on in this text right here. And so the disciples, they see that, and they ask a legit question. And, and, and as, as a side note, let me say this right here. Um, God's not bothered by your questions. And I, I tell you this all the time, and, and you need to embrace that, and you need to understand that. God's not bothered by our questions. Um, when I first started out in Christianity, um, I was part of a church environment, and, and they were like, don't ask God questions. You don't ask God questions. You don't ever question God. I'm like, Why? Like, I, I want to know the answers, and dude's got all the answers, so I'm going to ask him. God's bothered by your questions. No, he's not. He's not bothered by my questions. He's not bothered by your questions. It's okay to ask God questions. And I can say that because right here, the disciples are questioning Jesus. Hey, are you really going to go there again? 
Like, really, like I, I just don't know, Jesus. And this is awesome. Jesus, <laughs> I think there are like two times in the, in the entire Bible where somebody asked Jesus a question and he just gave them an answer. Usually, he asks a question back or he tells a story. This is, I don't even know what's going on right here, but this is like one of my favorite ever responses back from Jesus. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. And the disciples are probably like, what the heck is he talking about? He's giving us a science lesson? I don't even know what he's talking about. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yes, we know there are 12 hours of daylight every day. We're trying not to get killed. We're trying not to go to the place where they throw stones at us. And you're talking about daylight? Daylight? You're talking to us about daylight? Really? And Jesus just keeps going. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. And they're probably all like, okay, like what is the point, Jesus? But at night, there is no danger of stumbling because they have no light. And all the disciples are like, dude, what is he saying? What is going on right here? At first, this seems to have nothing to do with the passage. Hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. Uh, it's not going to end in death. But Jesus, he's sick. Okay, boys, let's go to Judea. Um, no, Jesus, we don't want to go there. And Jesus goes into a science lesson, and everyone's like, what is going on? One of the best commentaries on the Bible is the Bible. And John had actually recorded in John 8, 12, these words. This is what Jesus said. I am the light of the world. So they probably, they probably understood this a little bit. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is talking about in both of these contexts, him being the light of the world. And if we follow him, we will always have light. I, I was thinking about how to illustrate this the other day. Um, and I thought about this. A few weeks ago, I put up this picture, and I told you, I want to know what it's like to drive a car that fast. And I told you the fastest I'd ever driven a car is 150 miles an hour. That wasn't entirely true. What I should have told you was I quit looking at the speedometer at 150, and I had both hands on the steering wheel, and it was shaking, and I was like, whoo! And so I don't, I don't really know, like, what, what had happened. Um, but uh, I didn't go that fast. I know that for sure. Now, now here, here's, here's where I'm, I'm going with this. Um, the day that I did that, it was a beautiful day. The sun was out. There were no cars around me. It was perfectly flat. It was incredibly safe-ish, I guess. I don't, I don't, pr probably not, but, but, it was, but it was awesome. It was daytime. It was great. Now, had it been nighttime, I would not have done that. You know why? <laughs> because I'm getting old, and my eyes don't work well at night. I don't really see well at night. Most of us, when we drive at night, especially if we don't know the roads, we go a little bit slower, right? Like if we don't know the way, we don't go as fast. Nobody is going to cut off their headlights and drive as fast as they can at night because that's the best way to have a what? An accident, right? And so Jesus, right here, he's kind of talking about that. He's not, he's not talking about driving cars fast, um, but he is talking about the difference between light and darkness, because one of the things that I've discovered in my life, and, and you've probably discovered this too, what I've discovered about Jesus is that he will always provide light. Always. And he does that because, listen, 
we live in a dark world, right? We, we live in a dark world. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe that, understand that, agree with that. I mean, all you've got to do is turn on the news tonight. You'll see somebody killing somebody, somebody did this, somebody did that. We can all agree that we live in a dark world. And Jesus is saying, hey, no matter how dark the world gets, if you walk with me, you will always have light in your life. And, and you might not know what that is, but you will know your next step as long as you stay connected to the light. In fact, think about it like this. Connection brings clarity. Connection brings clarity. As long as we stay connected to Jesus, the next step, the next step, will be incredibly clear. Now, don't miss this. Not the next three steps, not the next five steps, not the next 20 steps, not the next 100 steps, but that next step. He will always make the next step clear. That's why I ask this question over and over and over again. What is the thing or the things that you do that connects you to Jesus the most? Is it worship music? Is it listening to a message? Is it Reading the Bible? Is it prayer? Is it giving? Is it serving? Is it attending church? Like, like what is it? What, what is it that connects you to Jesus? Whatever it is, whatever that thing or those things are, whatever connects you and your heart to Jesus the most, figure that out and just do it a lot. <laughs> do it a lot because connection brings clarity. And listen, Jesus wants us to know our next step sometimes more than we actually want to know it. He really does. And if you don't know what your next step is, just, just ask Jesus because Jesus is the light and he wants to show you, he wants to bring clarity into your life. So Jesus is in the science lesson. And he's talking to them about the light. And then he says this, verse 11. Then he said, our friend, notice they had asked, are, are you going? Are you going? And, and then Jesus says, our, our friend, our, so he's pulling them back into the conversation. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. There is not a verse in the Bible that resonates more and where I am in my life than this verse right here. And if you've got a teenager, you know something about this too. Because it's the weekend, and they sleep till noon or 1 o'clock. And you've got to go in, and you've got to wake them up. And they're always so happy and thrilled when you go into their room. The side note, parents, don't you love it when they tell you it's their room? Get out of my room. What you doing in my room? <laughs> what? Your room? It's your room? It's my room. Get out of my room. It's their room because they pay for it, right? It's their room because they pay for the air conditioning. It's their room because they pay the bills in that mug. It's not your room. It is my freaking room. I will come in and I will paint it pink and put new direction posters in this thing if I want to. I will. Sorry. Got a little personal there. Just chill out a second, Ryan. Back to the text. I don't know if I'm going to do that when he comes in the next service. Why are you laughing? It could have been her. Come on, you know, like. <laughs> Jesus, like Jesus, Jesus clarifies things. He, he really does. Now, he didn't tell the whole story right here. And, and, and a lot of times, like, just remember this. 
If we ask God for clarity, like it's okay to ask God for clarity, we're going to sing this song um, at the end of the service, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and, and, and that's what you need to do. God, open the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes, eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to see you clearly. I want to see you high and lifted up. Um, when we ask God for clarity when it comes to the next step, like, like if we say, God, if this is the next step, I need you to make it clear, he will do that. But when you ask for clear, clarity and he provides it, then it's back on you, it's back on me, it's back on us to take that next step. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? So right here he's telling them, hey, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and now we'll go and wake him up. And, and if we read the Gospel of John, if you've ever read through the Gospel of John, um, we know what he's talking about. We know this is figurative language. We know that sleep is actually symbolic for death in the Bible. If you didn't know that, now you do know that. In the Bible, sleep is symbolic for death. Um, but the disciples... I don't know. Maybe they knew it. Maybe they didn't. Because watch what they do. Because once again, they're pushing back on Jesus. They're resisting Jesus. Hey, he's asleep. We're going to wake him up. And look at this, verse 12. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. In other words, hey, hey, the rocks hurt. Like, we're trying to avoid the pain. And like, Jesus, like, like he's sick. And you said his sickness won't end in death, so just let the dude sleep it off. He'll be fine in the morning. If he's sleeping... He will soon get better. They thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So once again, they're pushing back on Jesus because, listen, because they're not willing to take that next step. So it's like with me, with that story I told you at the beginning, it's like me the second and the third time I pushed back on Jesus on that forgiveness issue. And maybe you're here and you've pushed back on Jesus a second time, a third time, a fifth time, a 20th time, an 800th time. And you know, you know the next step that you need to take, but you're arguing back. Okay, is there something else? Is there something else that I can do? And listen, when it comes to us taking our next step, when Jesus has clearly told us our next step, there is never going to be another option. There is never going to be another option. And so right here, he tells them, he says, hey, we got to go see Lazarus. He's sleeping. Jesus, he'll get better. It's all right. We don't want to go. And then Jesus clarifies in verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. To which they all probably went, oh, snap. (laughs) That's a problem. Because like Jesus, you had stood up and you said, hey, his sickness will not end in death. Remember that? We talked about that last week. Those words came out of the mouth of Jesus. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, and now he is saying Lazarus is dead, which is just confirmation for us that even though we think something is over, as long as Jesus is involved in the story, the story is never over. That's what we say all the time around here. If you're not dead, God's not done, right? Because as long as Jesus is involved, The story is not over. He really can bring hope. He really can bring joy. He really can bring peace back to life. He really can do all of those things for us. A lot of times, well, all the time, we're not waiting on him. Like, we're we're not waiting on Jesus. He's just waiting on us to be obedient and take our next step. Lazarus is dead. And then verse 15, and for your, I love this, and for your sakes, Jesus is like, this isn't for me, boys. (laughs) This This is for you. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Because, again, don't miss this. Up until this point, 
They had seen some awesome stuff. They had seen some incredible things. John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. In John chapter 6, he fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. In John chapter 9, he walks on water. He heals a blind man. In John chapter 10, he's doing all of this incredible teaching. I mean, he's done all of these miracles. And they were still kind of wrestling with, oh, I, I don't know. Hey, hey, Pete, what do you think? You think he's the Messiah? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Thomas, what do you think? Doubt it. <laughs> Philip, what do you think? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we can see one more thing. We can just see one more cool thing. Jesus, don't, don't miss this. Jesus is inviting them to have a front row seat to one of the most amazing miracles that's ever happened in the history of the world. And they're like, ah, I don't know, man. I don't know if we can take that step. See, Jesus, when Jesus is asking us to take a next step, it's because he wants to give us front row seats to amazing things that he wants to do in our lives. It's never, ever, ever about pushing us down. It's about pulling us closer to him. And then verse 16, this happens. Now, you've got to love Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. You ever met that guy? Thomas was like, fine, fine, we're all going to die. You're killing everybody. Thank you very much. Been great following you. We're all going to get killed. That's great. That's awesome. Let's go. Fine. We'll just all go and get killed. Like, that's his attitude. But don't miss this. If, you, if you've missed everything else I have said today, don't miss this. Our next step is not about punishment. It is about progress. Our next step is not about punishment, it's about progress. God wants us to take our next step, not so he can punish us, but so that we can make progress in our spiritual journey. For me, emailing that person, letting them know that they were forgiven, I wasn't responsible for their reaction. I was responsible for my obedience. When God tells us to take a next step, we're not responsible for anyone or anything else. We're responsible for being obedient in the moment. And in the moment, when he asks us to do what he's asking us to do, it's because he wants greater things in our lives than we actually want for ourselves. It's amazing. Let me kind of explain that like this. Last weekend, um, we were in Creston at our Creston campus for a block party. And we have a couple in our church, um, the Humphreys. The Humphreys have a six-month-old little boy named Hunter. This is Hunter right here. And Hunter, cool. Hunter is awesome. And so it was nice out. It was hot. And everybody was, like, passing Hunter around. And Andrew and Ashley, um, his mom and dad, were over doing other things. And people were looking at him, and they were cooing. And John Sampson was like, coochie, coochie, coo, and doing all of that. And it was awesome, and it was great. And there was a, there was a lady that was... <laughs> that had a sucker, and she was, like, giving Hunter the sucker and then pulling it back out and putting it in her mouth. And it was, like, the most anti-COVID thing that there was. And I knew, like, I probably should say something, but it's just, like, awesome to see. And Hunter was so happy. Um, it was cool. Um, but I was looking at him, and I was looking at his mom and dad, and I had this thought. Hunter is six months old. Hunter has no idea how much he is loved. Like, like literally, 
He can't wrap his little mind around it. He has no idea how many awesome and incredible things that his mom and dad want for him. He has no idea what has been done to prepare the way for him. He has no idea everything that has been purchased and paid for for him. He has no idea. All he has to do is smile and receive the love of his mom and dad, right? The same thing that's true about Hunter it's true about every single one of us in this room. We have no idea how much good God really wants for every single one of us. That's why he said in Isaiah 55, he said, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine, says the Lord. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, he's saying, hey, go ahead and trust me with your next step because I love you more than you could ever possibly imagine. I love you. I want good for you. I want more good for you than you actually want for you. I want nothing but the best for you. And even though it might seem uncomfortable and inconvenient, make the next step, make the commitment to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And as you make those steps, you'll get closer to me and you'll get closer to seeing the amazing things that I want to do in your life. And so let me ask this question as we close. What's your next step? What is it? Because I've got one. You've got one. We've all got a next step. And so what's your next step in your walk with Jesus? Because the next step, although it might be difficult, is always the right step. And maybe right now you know the step and, and you're in the middle of it and that's great. No, on the other side of that, he's going to be asking you to take another step. Maybe you're here right now and you don't know what your next step is. Well, we're going to take a moment and we're going to sing a song called Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And during this, th during this time, I'd, I'd love for you to sing. Um, but if you don't know what your next step is, take a moment and ask him. Open the eyes of my heart because I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to see you high and lifted up in my life. God, God I, I want that. So tell me what is my next step. And I'm telling you, church, when he makes it clear, be obedient to take it in that moment. Let's stand and sing.